So I have to tell you um, that this is the most excited and the most not excited I've been to start a new series in a long time. Uh, the reason that, that I'm excited about it is because I believe as we jump into this series called Hope in the Dark, I believe that God is going to use that to really minister to all of us, but especially to those that find themselves going through some difficult times right now. And so that's exciting to me. Uh, it just seems to me that there's a lot of pain in the life of our church, in our community these days. You know, it just seems to me more than normal. Uh, and so I think it's a timely series. It's exciting to me to go through a book, the book of Lamentations, which guys, I'll be really honest with you, I've never preached a series from the book of Lamentations. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon from the book of Lamentations. It's probably a book that we just don't spend enough time on and we'll get into it and, and talk about it over the next several weeks and why it's important that we do so. Um, but, but it's exciting to me to see the Word of God come alive in the hearts of people, especially sometimes maybe parts of God's Word that maybe we're not as familiar with. And to see it in light of, this is how God can minister in my life. I mean, that's, that's exciting to me. To me, that's one of the main goals of why we come together and what we are here for, to encourage one another. Jesus told us, I believe it was Deuteronomy 8.3, where Jesus said that, and he was quoting this when he was tempted by Satan, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That was actually a quote from the Old Testament, and that's true. When the Word of God begins to become our nourishment, it's what we go to for our source of strength. I mean, that's exciting to me, and so I believe that's going to happen as we get into this series, not because of anything that I'm doing, but because of the power of God's Word and because of uh, just how he speaks to us through his word. So that's why I'm excited about it. But let me tell you why I'm not excited about it. It's because this topic is not an easy topic. It's not a fun topic. Uh, when you ever, whenever you start talking about lamentations, you know, lamenting, I'm going to tell you, lamenting is not at the top of my list of favorite things that I like to do. If I have a free Saturday, Rich, I'm probably not going to spend it lamenting all day, right? That's just not the most fun thing. Um, here's the thing about, too, about how I am wired, and I know God has wired us differently, uh, but just the way God put me together is that I'm kind of sometimes maybe to a fault an overly optimistic person. I don't do whining, but I must do reality. All of us must do reality. And reality says that sometimes we're going to go through some difficult times. We're going to find our, ourselves in places of darkness at times. And when we do, it's important for us to know where to go and where to turn and to know that there is hope even in the darkest places. And the book of Lamentations is a great reminder uh, of that reality. So we're going to jump into that uh, knowing that, that all of us have different places in our lives um, where we need this. Most of you probably know our story. If you don't, our daughter was diagnosed with cancer back in June, and it's been a difficult path for us, uh, kind of trying to figure this out and walking through that, been dealing with a good bit of pain. And uh, by the way, those of you who've been asking, she's a little bit better. She had a procedure done on Monday. We don't know that it's any better from the procedure, but um, it's not worse like it was for several days. So uh, we're thankful for that. But uh, everybody's got something, right? Everybody has something that they're, that, that, that they're dealing with. And in the middle of 
dealing with those difficulties, um, we're going to find some hope in, in God's Word, specifically in the book of Lamentations. And I'm grateful that God, in His grace and in His mercy, has given us an entire book to help us deal with these things. And one of the things about this book that you'll see as you get in, it's extremely raw. Uh, it doesn't hold back. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for that and for us in our dealing with it the same way. So if you would, open with me to the book of Lamentations. And if I must, I will confess that when I did it for the first time, I really struggled to find it, <laughs> but it's right after Jeremiah. After that, I'm like, well, I know that because I knew Jeremiah wrote it. It makes sense. It'd be right after Jeremiah, but it is kind of tucked in there a little bit in the Old Testament. So if you're embarrassed to find it, know your pastor struggled a little bit when I first got to it as well. So Lamentations starting in verse one, let's just read the first seven verses together this morning. It says, how deserted lies the city once so full of people. How like a widow is she? Who once was great among the nations, she who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks. Among, uh, among all her lovers there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her, they have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations, she finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress." The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate, her priests groan, her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. All the splendor has departed from daughter Zion. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness they have fled before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and wandering, Jerusalem remembers all the treasures that were hers in days of old. When her people fell into enemy hands, there was no one to help her. Her enemies looked at her and laughed at her destruction. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Um, but that gives us some feel as it just jumps right in. You know, normally at the beginning of a book is some type of introduction or some type of, you know, let's start this in a positive direction. And it just jumps right in. How deserted is the city? Once full of people, you know, I mean, it's just, just right from the very beginning. Let me give you five things that I think will help. And these are just bulleted in the, 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 the message notes uh, inside the, the, the bulletin that you received. They will maybe give us some, some background, help us understand a little bit of something about this book of Lamentations. First one, as I said a moment ago, it was, and this is not the first point, but it was written by Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. Sometimes he's referred to as the weeping prophet. If you read the book of Lamentations, you'll find out really quickly why he is referred to that. And we'll get into that next Sunday, uh, tears and working through those kinds of things. But Jeremiah... And uh, in, in the book named Jeremiah, Jeremiah 52, verse 4, says, So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. They encamped outside the city and built siege works around it. So here's the first thing we need to know is that, that the, the Babylonians came to besiege Jerusalem. They attacked the city. This was around 589 B.C. And depending on, you know, scholars have some disagreement about how long it lasted, anywhere from 18 to 30 months. Uh, but it was a long period of time that they were besieging this city. The second thing that we need to know as a result of that, and you see this throughout the book, is um, that the supplies to the city were cut off. And that's how they did things. 
You know, there was a wall built around the city, so they couldn't penetrate the city. They couldn't get in to conquer the people. So they just set up shop outside the, the walls and they cut off any source of food or anything else coming in. And the question is, I mean, I'm sure they are prepared for a period of time, but how long can you go without some type of outside supplies being able to come in? And you see throughout the book, uh, verse 11 is a great example of that we didn't read that far, but verse 11 in chapter one, says, all her people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. It's a bad situation. The people are starving. They don't have enough food. There are things that are described in this book that I'm not going to say here. You can read through it if you want. That are just unspeakable, horrible things happening as a result of the supplies being cut off to the city. And, and, and when that happens, bad stuff is bound to follow. And then verse 7, which is where we ended, is the third thing that we need to understand, and that is that the city fell. Starving people can only hold out for so long. And so eventually the city fell. Uh, The fourth thing is that the Babylonians became their masters. So the city falls, the Babylonians take control. They were known as being ruthless conquerors. Children were carried off. Women were raped. Uh, The people that were kept in the city, were forced into labor. This is a a really, really dark situation going on here. And when you look at the the background of the book, and then perhaps the worst part of it all, and this is the fifth thing, is that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Now for a Jewish person, this this is unthinkable. And it would certainly raise questions of why would God allow that to happen? The temple was, was the symbol of the presence of God. It was the place of worship. It was where sacrifices were offered for the forgiveness of sin. It's where people came together to, to worship together. It's where the priests ministered toward, uh, before God. It was kind of the, the center of life, really, for the Jewish people. And now this temple was just completely destroyed. And we see that uh, later in the book where it talks in chapter 4, I believe, verse 1, it talks about the stones or the gems just being scattered throughout the city, these sacred stones, sacred gems. The, the, the temple was just destroyed. And so there's so much going on there um, that the people are just absolutely brokenhearted. They're crying out to God, and God has given us this book to help us understand that when we go through times like that, There is a way that we can respond, and it's important for us to learn from this how to do that. Now, as we go through this book, we're going to do so a little bit differently than we normally do. A lot of times if we attack a book, we start in the beginning, and we just kind of go from beginning to end and verse by verse through. We're not going to do that with the book of Lamentations for this reason. The book is a cyclical type of book in nature. It, It repeats the same types of things several times throughout the book. And so if you just go from beginning to end, you're going to kind of hear the same thing multiple times. And it just strikes me, isn't that the way it is when you're dealing with grief and when you're dealing with pain and loss? It's cyclical, right? You you go through these cycles and you think, okay, I've gotten to the end of it. And then suddenly, sometimes without any warning whatsoever... It could be something as simple as a song that you hear. It could be a, a, a location, a place that you see. It could be a smell. You know, I mean, it could be anything. It could be something that somebody says. And then all of a sudden, you're just thrown right back into 
that cycle again, and that's just kind of how it works. One person who is describing what it was like to go through a significant time of loss said it's a lot like the words to that old hymn, when sorrows like sea billows roll. And she said, that's a lot, that's kind of what it's like, right? When you're going through a time of sorrow and difficulty, it's almost like these sea billows that just come crashing in, sometimes unexpectedly. And if you've ever been there, if you are there, you know, sometimes it can just hit you out of nowhere. You don't even see it coming. It's like, what just happened? I did not see that coming on me, but it's this cyclical kind of thing. So with that in mind, let me suggest three things today um, that, that I think will help us begin to lay a foundation and then we'll go through and, and talk about some strategies and ways to deal with things in the weeks to come. Uh, the first one is this, understand that pain and loss are inevitable. If there's one thing we see in the book of Lamentations, it's that pain and loss, it's real and we see throughout the rest of scripture, it's going to happen. If you're not in a period of difficulty right now, praise God for that. That's a wonderful thing. But we all know that at some point we will be, or uh, most likely, even if you're not there yourself, you probably know somebody who is. And so sometimes what we need to understand is maybe not so much what do I need for myself to deal with my pain and loss, but how do I help this other person that I love? They're in a difficult period. And so what are some things that would be helpful for me to understand to, to help them? Um, you know, the, the word that we sometimes use to describe, in particular, this word is described, uh, used to describe somebody who loses a loved one. We talk about the person being bereaved, right? Bereaved. That's not a, a word that we use very often other than to talk about somebody who's lost a loved one. Do you know what the word reeve comes from? To be reeved. It comes from this old English word reeve. And the word reeve means to plunder. To rob, to tear away by force. It, it was something, if you were going to go and attack a people and overtake the people, or like what happened here in Lamentations, when the Babylonians came in, they reaved the Israelites. They just plundered them. They just ripped everything away from them that was valuable to them. I mean, think about that. That is a descriptive term, isn't it? When you are bereaved, that means that something of value, something that you love, or maybe someone that you love has just been ripped away, has been torn away, and it feels violent. And there's this sense of how do I deal with that? How do I cope with that? Well, first of all, I think it's helpful to understand that this is something that everybody will go through. Everybody experiences it. Now, there can be different reasons for it in the book of Lamentations, and I would encourage you to go through it and read, be reading in this, this book over the next several weeks. Um, you'll see in Lamentations, a lot of the problem was brought on because of the sin of the people. They had rebelled against God, and so some of this is just God's judgment upon sin. But I want to be very clear in saying that's not always the case when we go through a time of loss or a time of pain. I think we should stop and evaluate and say, okay, is there something in my life? Is God, is God trying to get my attention in some way? Is there something that, that I need to repent of? Is there something that I need to make right with God? But a lot of times that's not the source of our pain. Sometimes it's just the fact that, that we go through difficulty and it's just part of life. And you know, I believe that it is very detrimental to our relationship with God if we don't understand 
that pain and loss are a normal part of, of life and it's what God allows us to experience. Because some would, would have us to believe that the only two reasons that you go through pain and loss are either because God is punishing you, you've done something wrong, or because you don't have enough faith and you're not trusting God enough for Him to deliver you out of that situation. And let me tell you, if that's what you believe, and you believe that there must either be something wrong with God or there's something wrong with me because I'm going through a time of pain and loss, eventually what that leads toward is a turning away from God. It leads toward getting angry with God. And by the way, we're going to get into that too in the weeks to come. What do you do when you're mad at God? And you'll see that in the book of Lamentations. There's a lot of this, God, why would you allow this is what you have done to us? We'll we'll jump into that more in the weeks to come. But I believe that it's very detrimental to our to our relationship with God if we don't understand that sometimes God does allow us to go through pain and difficulty because there is a greater purpose in that. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Let me read these verses. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Now, in order to be fair to this text, I think it's important to say that the context of this is talking about suffering for being a Christian. Uh, The early Christians were persecuted for their faith. And so that's what he's talking about. He's saying if you suffer because you're following Jesus and people are wanting to oppose this message of the gospel, then you've not done something wrong. It's not exactly the same as talking about suffering just in general, but I think the principle is the same here. If God would allow even those who are his faithful children to go through some times of suffering and difficulty because of their faith, does it not also follow that God would allow those who are his children to go through some difficulty in life and some suffering and some painful experiences and know that, that our pain isn't pointless? There is a purpose in our pain. And we see that throughout Scripture as well. One example that many of us are probably familiar with, James chapter 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joys, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. We read that verse and we're like, man, I don't even want to read that one. But why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. These trials of many kinds are part of the human experience. They're part of what God allows into the life of even those who are wholeheartedly following Him. It's not necessarily an indication that things aren't right with God if you're going through difficulty. And it's, it's important for us to understand that. But, but it says that the purpose of this is that God allows us to go through these trials so that we can develop perseverance. Now, just by itself, here's my question for you. Is perseverance something that you gain overnight? The answer is no. I mean, just by the nature of what it is, to persevere means to stick with something over a period of time, right? So you don't develop perseverance overnight. Sometimes God allows us to be in a particular situation, a particular trial, because he is developing our perseverance. And we may not like it, and it's not fun at the time, but there's a purpose to it. And that perseverance, it says in verse 4, when it finishes his work, it says it'll, it, it leads us to a point of being mature and complete, not lacking anything. What that says to me is that if I want to be mature and complete as a follower of Christ, I cannot get there 
outside of these trials that develop perseverance that lead to maturity. It's just part of the deal. And so there are going to be those seasons of our lives where God puts us in places where we experience pain because He is doing something greater uh, through that. Now here's the encouragement that I always offer. And whenever I meet with a family or again I did a, had a memorial service that I, that I performed on Friday, um, met with that family, have met with others recently. And one of the things that pieces of encouragement I always offer the family during their, their time of grieving is this, that you know, whenever you go through a time of grief, a time of loss, one of two things happens. Either you run toward God or you run away from Him. It's one or the other. And the same is true for us. It doesn't have to be the loss of a loved one. It can be a difficult trial in your life. Either it's going to push you closer toward God or it's going to push you further away from God. The, the, the decision is ours. How do we respond, right? And of course, my encouragement is always let this drive you toward God. Let this pain that you're experiencing be something that causes us to go toward God and allow Him uh, to, to minister to us. Rather than allowing it to drive a wedge between you and God, let it drive you toward God. Now, that won't happen apart from us understanding that God has a purpose. But, but that's, a, that's a long time to spend on that first one, but just to say this, that pain and loss are inevitable in this life. It is part of what God allows us to go through. Here's the second thing. Uh, because that's true... Pain and loss must be faced head on. Must be faced head on. If there's one thing you see in the book of Lamentations, it's that it faces things head on. Doesn't beat around the bush. Doesn't try to make things sound better than they are. Doesn't try to, you know, soften the blow. I mean, it just deals with it head on. And it's very direct. As I said a moment ago, it's very raw. But, but that's important. And it's important for us to realize that when we're going through a trial, we cannot ignore it. We can't go around it. We just have to go through it. Reminds me of a story that was told. There's a great little book, by the way, a pastor that I came across, and I can tell you the, the more detailed story later. It's just a really odd set of circumstances that I heard about this guy, and it's kind of what God used to, to trigger this, this series. But um, wrote a book based on Lamentations called For All Who Grieve. His name is Colin Smith. And in that book, he tells a story of a, a family. He had a grief group that met in his home, specifically parents who had lost a child. And they would go through and were working through lamentations. But one of those um, parents was telling the story of going to a counselor, and they're just trying to work through some of their difficulty. And they said, we don't remember exactly at that first counseling session, we don't remember exactly what the counselor said, but there was one thing that did stand out in their minds. They remember seeing a plaque on the wall. And the plaque on the wall said this, the only way out is through. The only way out is through. And that's so true when it comes to our pain and our difficulty and our loss. You cannot go around it. You cannot ignore it. You just have to go through it. The only way out is through. And thankfully, as we go through, God is right there with us, right? God carries us even through our, our times of difficulty and pain. Now, if you are walking alongside someone who is going through a time of difficulty and pain. It can be helpful to realize the importance of, because we have to go through it, we have to allow that individual, or if we are the individual ourselves, we have to allow ourselves to, to feel what we need to feel, you know, to work through what we need to work through as a part of the process of getting through those things. 
I think sometimes our tendency is we want to cheer people up to the point of, hey, let's just kind of get our mind off of it. And there is, a, there is some value in that, by the way. You don't ever want to get so engrossed in your pain that it becomes all-consuming and you, you know, it just becomes debilitating and you, you're, you're stuck in that area and you can't get out. At that point, we really do need to seek uh, other people and, and, and perhaps other help to get us out of that. But there is also a, a point at which we need to allow ourselves to deal with the reality of our pain and not to ignore it. In that same book I mentioned a moment ago, a story is told of G.K. Chesterton. He was an English writer and philosopher. He was born toward the end of the 19th century. Uh, when his sister Beatrice was eight years old, she died suddenly. And the way Chesterton's father dealt with that grief was to take the, the picture that he had of his daughter and turn it around toward the wall to go into her room and clean out all of her stuff and get rid of all her belongings and then to forbid anyone of ever speaking of her again. Now, I think we would look at that and go, that is horrible, right? That is an awful way to deal with it. But, and, and, and thankfully, we've, I think, come to a point, and it was probably more common back in that time, we've come to a greater understanding of the importance of working through things that's one extreme, and we may not go to that extreme, but sometimes the way we want to deal with things is to just try to ignore it and act like it isn't there. And that's not going to work, especially, that's, I mean, when you're starving and, you know, your children are being carried off and, you know, those kinds of, like in the book of Lamentations, you can't act like it's not there. I mean, it is a reality. It is a life and death kind of thing. And so, uh, so we have to We have to deal with it. We have to face that difficulty. My encouragement to you is this. Don't try to face it on your own. As you're walking through that pain, never try to go through it by yourself. That's the tendency when we're hurting, right? When we're hurting, we want to isolate ourselves, either for one of two reasons. Either we don't want to see people or we don't want people to see us hurting. I don't know what it is about that, by the way. We'll get into that a little bit more next Sunday. But sometimes we just have this pride thing. We don't want anybody else to know that we're struggling. That's one reason. But the second reason that sometimes we don't want to turn to other people is because we genuinely don't want to be a burden on somebody else, right? I don't want to drag somebody else down with my problems. And yes, there is a point at which we have to understand that another person cannot fulfill the role in our lives that God does. So you can't expect somebody else, another human being, to be your savior and to, to solve all your problems. But at the same time, we need other people surrounding us. We need that encouragement. We need that protection. I mean, think about this, that it's the weak and the isolated prey that gets attacked first. They're the ones that are most susceptible. When they're hurting and they're isolated, that's bad news. And it is for us too. The enemy is coming, looking, as the scripture tells us, seeking whom he may devour. Do not isolate yourself, especially when you're hurting, especially uh, at those times. And it's true always, but we need to surround ourselves with others that can be there for us. But then the third thing, and I'll just take a couple of minutes to, to, to focus on this, and this theme we'll come back to every single week in some form or another. And it's this. Uh, to, to realize that Jesus understands pain and loss. Jesus understands pain and loss. And because of that, when we go through times of pain and loss, we need to turn to Him with everything that we've got. Isaiah 53.3, a uh, prophecy talking about 
the coming of the Messiah, says this, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. I mean, think about all that Jesus went through. All that he endured for us. He was betrayed by a close friend. His, his, his other friends ran away. He was mocked. He was spat upon. He was forced to carry his own cross. He was crucified. He bore the burden of our sins. His father even turned away from that. I mean, Jesus understands pain and loss. And because of that, we should turn to him. You know, sometimes don't you just want somebody who's been down the road that you're going down? If you're going through a particular type of suffering or difficulty, to have somebody else come alongside that says, man, I totally get it. I've been there in my life. I understand what you're going through. Jesus understands. Last scripture I want to leave with you is Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Guys, as you are turning to Jesus, understand that he is that great high priest who understands. He was tempted as we were tempted. He went through pain and he, and he understood what that was like, just like we do. And yet he is there to be our rock. And I love what it says that we can receive from him when we come. And by the way, approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I mean, that's a whole other sermon right there. When we're hurting, sometimes maybe we're hesitant. Don't be hesitant to approach the throne of God with confidence. But what do we receive? We receive mercy and we find grace to help us in our time of need. As I just want to close with that thought and that reminder and that encouragement to you. That when you're hurting and you put your faith in Jesus, you have a relationship with Christ and you are turning to him for help. He's going to extend mercy and he's going to give you grace that is going to help you in your time of need. So don't try to do it on your own. Let other people in. But more than anything, man, turn with all your heart to Christ, knowing that he is that great high priest that wants to to help you through and he wants to give you strength. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you today that I can turn to you, that every one of us can turn to you when we don't understand, when we have questions, Lord, when we're hurting, when we're frustrated. And you give us mercy and you give us grace. I thank you for that, Lord. I don't know what I'd do without it. And so we thank you, Lord, that you are there for us and that you carry us through, uh, especially through the difficult times. And so, Lord, I pray... For each person here, I don't know exactly what each situation is, but I'm quite sure that, that even in just this many in a room, there's a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and loss that's, that's represented here. And our prayer is that you would meet every need as only you can. In your precious name we pray. Amen.